Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel record of Matthew. The Gospel record of Matthew and Matthew chapter number 19. The Gospel record of Matthew and Matthew chapter number 19. We are continuing in our series of the Millennial Kingdom, which is the thousand year reign of Jesus Christ. That the Bible declares that at the The next thing to happen on God's calendar is what is called the rapture. And that at that moment, Jesus Christ will come back in the clouds. And us that the dead in Christ shall arise first. And us that alive and remain shall meet him together up in the air. And we're looking forward to it. This is our blessed hope. After that, the Bible declares that there's going to be seven years of tribulation. Where during that time, God is once again putting his attention on the Hebrew people for the purpose of bringing them back to himself. After the seven years of tribulation, we'll begin what is called the Millennial Kingdom, where Jesus Christ is going to come down on this earth, and for 1,000 years, he's going to rule and reign on this earth. And it's going to be a wonderful time. And if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you get to be there. And that we understand, as we are going to cover in the series a little bit later, that different people will do different things within the Millennial Kingdom. And that what is based off of what our responsibilities, what our jobs, what we're going to do within the Millennial Kingdom is based off of our faithfulness and obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ and the Great Commission here and now. And we're going to be very surprised about people that we thought, hey, they're going to be in an exalted position, and they are not. And some people that we, that we just went under the, the radar that's going to be put in an exalted position. We may speak about that here in just a moment. But if you don't mind, take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel record of Matthew chapter number 19. The Gospel record of Matthew chapter 19 And notice with me starting at verse 16. Matthew 19 and verse 16, the word of God says this. And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? That I may have eternal life. And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? Is, there is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. And he saith unto him, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And the young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. 
But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men... This is impossible. But with God all things are possible. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and have followed thee. What shall we have therefore? Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And every one that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold, and shall inherit everlasting life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the Gospel record of Matthew chapter 19? The Gospel record Matthew chapter 19 and verse number 27, notice the phrase at the very end, What shall we have therefore? What shall we have therefore? And I'd like to turn that question and ask it back. What do you want for your life? What do you want for your life? And with the Lord's help, I'd like to preach that question. What do you want for your life? What do you want for your life? If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you now, we're just asking that you would give us special clarity. That you would give me special unction from your Holy Spirit. That you would just do an amazing work. That you would change somebody's life, not just for the here and now. But tonight you would change somebody's life that would affect them during the entire millennial kingdom. For a thousand years, somebody's life could be changed because of this message. And Lord, this is a message that could be a sleeper, meaning that someone could nod their head and say, sure, sure, and not do anything with it. And it could affect them for such a long period of time. I'm asking that there would be a brevity, a gravity, a soberness tonight. And that we would understand how much our life now affects for the future. For a thousand years, it will be affected and we will have the results of our labor, our faithfulness, or lack thereof for 1,000 years. Lord, I'm asking that you would give us grace and give us mercy now. Fill me with your precious spirit and let your own word do its work tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
As we begin to answer the question, I have to hit the context. What happens in this case is that there is a rich young ruler who comes to approach Jesus Christ. Now, this is a rich young ruler. It's a young man who is a ruler within the city of Jerusalem. He is a... um, a Hebrew man, and he, as a young man, he's got responsibilities. He's in charge of taking care of groups of people. And so this man had come to Jesus while Jesus was talking to a crowd, and he kind of breaks through the crowd. And because he's dressed differently, he's dressed in purple, which is a very rare color. It's very expensive to get the color purple. And he comes in, and the crowd almost parts for him because of how rich he is because of his status because of his fame because of his notoriety and he comes up to Jesus and the crowd parts and he goes straight up to Jesus and he says good master what good thing should I do that I may have eternal life so he goes up to Jesus asking the question What things should I do? I want to make sure that I'm going to heaven. I want to make sure that I'm going to your kingdom. I want to make sure that I have eternal life. What thing should I do? And he almost has in mind that Jesus is going to give him a quest. That Jesus may say, hey, what I want you to do is there is a dragon plaguing the towns north of here. You go kill that dragon and you'll go to heaven. Maybe Jesus would say something like this in his mind. That maybe the Jesus would tell him that you need to go up these stairs on your knees. And every after every step, you go ahead and you pray. And when you climb to all those steps, you would have proved your piety. You would have proved of how great of a guy you are and how serious you are. Maybe perhaps the man thought that Jesus would tell him that he needed to go do this special task. And if he did this special task, it would show him, everyone, that he was chosen of God. And so he had in mind that Jesus was going to give him a task, a quest, or something to do. However, instead, Jesus goes and he explains to him a little bit of the gospel. And verse number 17, he says, And I say, and he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. And so he starts off by saying, There is none righteous, no, not one. That all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He goes and says, Why do you call me good? There is none good. You are not good. That's kind of the implication. But he says, But if thou wilt enter into life, Keep the commandments. Now we understand that Jesus is not dealing with the masses. He's dealing with an individual. And he has to bring to the place where this individual realizes that he is a sinner. So he says here, you've been taught the Ten Commandments from a child. Keep those. He says, which ones? He says, all right, let's go through them. He says, to honor thy father and mother. The guy says, check. He says, don't tell lies. Check. Don't commit adultery. Check. This guy's doing pretty good. He's saying that from a child, he hasn't done any of these things. Now, this is a pretty upstanding guy. This isn't some creep in a back alleyway. This is a guy who's tried to do right all of his life. He's tried to do good. He has tried to do right. He has tried to be honest. He has tried to be faithful to everything that he has. 
<laughs> in verse number 20, the young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Notice as Jesus now answers him. And remember, once again, Jesus is dealing with an individual. He is not giving this as a how to get saved. He is dealing with an individual because this guy does not believe he is a sinner. He believes that he's living a perfect life. And so Jesus is dealing with him to show that he is not as perfect as he thinks he is. Verse number 21. Jesus said unto him, If thou will be perfect, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. So here's the simple reply. If you think you're really that perfect, sell everything you have. Give your money away. And then you come and follow me. And guess what? You'll have treasure up in heaven. You will start investing not in this world, but in the world to come. You go ahead and prove that you're right. And so what did the young man do? Verse 22. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, Jesus is not teaching that possessions are wrong. What is wrong is when possessions have us. That when we are looking forward to all of the stuff and we're not regarding to the future world, there is a problem. There is a problem. And this is going to be central to what is being covered here. The idea that this guy had all the possessions, he was comfortable in this life, And he was willing to forsake the future life to have comfort and the things he wanted now. And we understand that we have a choice, dear friend. You have a choice of investing here and now for a small amount of time. Or to invest in the future which will last a thousand years and then an eternity future. That's a long time. And so the choice is, which life are you going to invest in? Which life are you going to give your life for? Notice as he goes on, Jesus now pulls his disciples aside. Now they're watching this. Can you imagine what an amazing sight this would be? This rich young ruler comes through. The crowd parts for him. He goes up to Jesus, says, Jesus, what can I do? And Jesus went and pretty much said, you need to realize you're a sinner. Give up everything you have and and follow after me. And the man wasn't willing to do it. So Jesus pointed out where his problem was. And then he turns around and walks away. And the whole crowd watches him as he walks away. And this man walked away from Jesus, not giving up a single thing. So when the man walks away, he still has all of his wealth. When he walks away, he still has all of his houses. When he walks away, he still has all of his clothes, all of his comforts, all of his entertainment. He has it all. Now his disciples, Jesus' disciples are watching this. And their their jaws have dropped. They're still on the ground. Jesus turns around and says, this is a teaching time for them. 
Let me go and take care of my disciples now. Verse 23. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. So Jesus turns around and says, listen, it's hard for rich people to trust in God. It is hard for rich people to give up their comfort and their life for the sake of the next one. And he says, how hard is it? It says it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. Now, many of you have sewn or have at least seen a needle. Can you imagine getting a big animal? And what he's doing, he's making a reference to the biggest creature they have seen, to the smallest thing they could perceive, which is the eye of the needle, and say, hey, can you squish that camel? You think you could squeeze him in there? He says it's easier for a rich man or for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man. To, to get saved and to invest into the eternal life. Now you say, well, this is pretty easy because I'm not rich. Well, do you understand that you will live in America, the greatest country in the world? Do you understand that if your family owns a vehicle, if your family owns a vehicle, you are in the top 10% of the wealth of the world. You understand most of the world would kill to be homeless in America. That the guy outside of the dumpster next to McDonald's is eating better than most of the world. And so you may think that you're poor compared to other rich, fat, spoiled Americans. But you are in the 90% of the wealth of the world. You are in the top 10%. You are wealthier than 90% of the world. And so in that case, would we be rich? Yes. Do we have a problem with stuff? Yes. Do we have a problem with in taking uh, things in this life, taking our attention from doing what God would give us to do? Yes. S some people would say, well, if I didn't have all these electronics, TV, Netflix, if I didn't have my computer, Facebook, whatever else, if I didn't have my back massager, if I didn't have this, sure, I'd be bored enough that I would serve God. You understand our stuff gives us lots of distractions the reason why I can't serve God is because I've got to get this done. The reason why I can't serve God is because my flower garden needs tending to. And we have all of these reasons why we don't invest in the other world. And most of those reasons is because we are rich. Because of our wealth, our comfort. Some people say, well, I don't have the wealth and comfort, but I got to work all the time to get the wealth and comfort. Yes. Well, the reason why I got to work all the time is to pay the bills. Yes. I understand we have to work. I'm not saying you got to quit your jobs, but I'm saying that you're going to give your life to something. You're either going to give your life for this world here, or you're going to give your life for the world yet to come. Notice as the Bible goes on in verse 25. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed. They weren't just amazed. They were jaw-dropping amazed. They were like unbelievable amazed. Kind of like if I explain to you that you're rich Americans and because of that we don't serve God. That's kind of like a jaw-dropping. No, really? No. It's, hard. it's unfathomable amazement. 
And they said, who then could be saved? Verse 26. But Jesus behelped them and said to them, with men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Oh, I'm so glad that God says that all things are possible. That even rich, spoiled Americans can still live for the next world. With God's help and God's grace. That we could set aside with our busyness and our and our distractions that we could still serve God with God's help. Verse 27. Now what has happened now is that the disciples are now talking amongst themselves. And if you go back and study the lives of the disciples, some of them gave up a lot. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, they worked together. James and John worked with their father Zebedee. And they had a successful fishing business. And so when Jesus came by and said, come and follow me, they left all. They left their business. They left their boats. They left their nets. James and John went to their dad and said, dad, we're going to go follow after Christ. We're leaving now. They left all. Matthew was a tax collector who was very wealthy. He left his business To follow after Christ. And so the disciples were talking among themselves. They watched this rich young ruler. He did not give up a single thing. And he walked away with everything he had. And a natural question formed in their mind. What are we getting out of this? We gave up everything. Jesus does not own a house. Jesus doesn't own a bed. Jesus says there's no rock. Or no pillow to lay my head upon. And his disciples are following him. And have been following him for a couple years now. So they've been roughing it out with Jesus. They've been traveling with Jesus. They have been going through the hardships with Jesus for the last couple years. And they just now ringed in their mind. Hey, what are we getting out of this? We gave up a whole bunch of stuff. What's in it for us? Now, every person sometime in their life will come to this time. What am I getting out of my life? What is my life worth? What is going to happen because of how I spent my life? And this question is a good question to ask to a degree to the point that you're figuring out. What is my life worth? What am I going to get out of my life? What do you, and the question is, what do you want for your life? And so notice as Jesus now, verse 27, the disciples kind of push Peter. Whenever they have a question, this is their thing they do, is they grab Peter and they push him up from, hey, you ask him, you ask him. I don't want to ask him. Here, you ask him. So they push Peter up. You can almost, I can see in my mind, the disciples pushing Peter up front and they put him right in front and he says, uh, I got a question. Uh, can I ask? Verse 27. Then answered Peter and said unto them, Behold, we have forsaken all and have followed thee. What shall we have therefore? So now Jesus now answers them. Verse 28. And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me and the regeneration. Now we've already explained these terms. The regeneration is the millennial kingdom. When they get their brand new redeemed bodies. In the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit upon the throne of his glory. So again, we're identifying this as dealing with the millennial kingdom. Ye, talking to the disciples, shall also sit upon twelve thrones, 
judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So to the disciples specifically, guess what? You are going to rule in the millennial kingdom and you're going to be in charge of each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, we've already taken time to explain that in the millennial kingdom that the Hebrew people that lived through the tribulation, they are going to be able to have children and those children are going to have children in the millennial kingdom. Many people are going to be born. Very few are going to die and the population is going to increase significantly and it's going to be the disciples inside of the new government Jesus then David then the 12 disciples are going to be overseeing the government that's pretty big position you guys are going to be in charge of the government inside of the millennial kingdom you're in charge they said what are we getting out of this you're going to be in charge during the thousand year reign of Christ you're going to be in charge that's what you're going to get now he goes on in verse 29 And everyone, so now verse 28 to the disciples, 29 is now to every one of us. And everyone that forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands. Notice this. This is specific for my name's sake. Now, we understand that the Bible qualifies this. I'm not going to prove it right now, but I've shown it before. That when it says, for my name's sake, he compares that to the gospel's sake. So this isn't said, well, I'm giving it up for Jesus and then do your own thing. It is for the purpose of accomplishing the Great Commission. There are many people who are religious that give up things, but that does not count. It is for the purpose of accomplishing the Great Commission. So those who have given up these things in their life so that more people can get saved, more people can get discipled, so more people can go get saved. Those who have given their life and given up things in their life so they could be better able to disciple, so they could be better able to be available to tell people about the gospel. They give up money so missionaries can go out. Those who have given these up for my name's sake shall receive it a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. So this is talking about the millennial kingdom. There is all kinds of amazing things awaited for those who are willing to live for the life up ahead rather than this life here and now. Then notice verse 30. But many that are first shall be last and the last shall be first. This is an amazing phrase that pops up over and over and over and over when Jesus deals with the millennial kingdom. But many that are first shall be last and the last shall be first. This is an amazing, powerful phrase that whenever Jesus says something once, it's important. When he says it two times, pay attention. Three or more times, this is critically important. What does it mean? I'll tell you at the end of the message. Now all this is introduction. Because what happens is that chapter and verse divisions were given for our learning and for us to keep track of the Bible. So when I say John 3.16, you know what I mean. But Jesus is still in chapter 20 continuing to answer the question to the disciples. Peter went up and said, we have forsaken all What shall we have thereof? Jesus says, well, I'm on the other side of the uh, millennial kingdom. You're going to be rulers. And anyone else who gives up things for the gospel's sake, they will get rewards. Then in chapter 20, to 
help prove his point, to give them understanding, he tells them a parable. And so if you don't mind, let's look at this parable now in chapter 20 and verse number 1. Matthew chapter 20 and verse number 1. Notice what the Bible says, chapter 20 and verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said unto them, go ye also into the vineyard and whatsoever is right, I will give you. And they went their way. Again, he went about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out, finding others standing idle, saith unto them, why stand ye here all the day idle? And they say unto him, because no man hath hired us. And he saith unto him, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. And so when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto his steward, Call the laborers, and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. And when they came that were hired about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more, and they likewise received every man a penny. And when they received it, they murmured against the good man of the house, saying, These last have been wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden in the heat of the day. But he answered in one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst not thou agree with me for a penny? Take that thine is, and go thy way. I will give unto this last, even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do with what I will with my own? Is thine eye evil, because I am good? So the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. For many shall be called, but few chosen." Now, what has happened is that Jesus tells them a parable, tells them a story. And in this story, this uh, master went out to, to the workers. There was uh, a place where all the workers would gather together and they would wait for someone to hire them. So he goes out at six in the morning. That's when the Hebrew day, the Jewish day began, was at six in the morning. So seven o'clock would be the first hour. The second hour would be eight the third hour would be nine. You jump up to um, <coughs> uh, fourth hour would be ten and so on and so forth. And so their day would end at the twelfth hour, which would be at 6 p.m. And so he goes out at, right away in the morning at the beginning of the workday and says, All right, I'm looking for some people to work in my field. And some people said, Sure, we'll work for you. And they said, But before we work, we want to know what we're getting out of this. What's in it for us? We're going to do this work. What are we going to get paid? And so they came up to an agreement of a penny. Now, it's not one of our pennies, which is worth one cent. In those days, a penny was a day's wage. And so what they did is they worked out an agreement that the, peop the workers said, we're not going to work until we agree what we're getting out of this. If we work for you, what do we get? Almost sounds familiar with what Peter just said. What do we get out of this? And so they agreed with God, Jesus. What are we going to get out of this? 
And so he said, all right, this is what we come. You agree? I agree. Sure, go work. Then what the uh, master of the vineyard does is he goes out again. Notice with me at verse number three. And he went out again about the third hour. So nine o'clock in the morning. And saw others standing idle in the workplace. And said unto them, go ye also into the vineyard. Notice what he offers them. And whatsoever is right, I will give you. And they went their way. So now he goes at nine o'clock. So the other people have already been working a couple hours. They go out at nine o'clock and says, hey, you go work in the field. And I want you to trust me that I should give you what is right. And they sure will trust you. And they go out to the field and begin to work. Then what happens in verse number five? And he went out again the sixth and the ninth hour. So what he goes at noon and then he goes at three o'clock in the afternoon and did likewise. And about the 11th hour, so this is five o'clock in the afternoon, only one more hour to work left in the fields. About the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing idle and saith unto them, why stand ye here all the day idle? They say unto him, because no man hired us. He said unto them, go ye into the vineyard and whatsoever is right that shall you receive. So he goes out to these people. They're only going to work for one hour. But he says, I want you to trust me that whatsoever is right, that will I pay you. And they said, sure, we'll go do that. And they go work for an hour. Then the good man at the end of the day, he goes, calls them in and says, all right, let's pay the workers. Let's start with the people who, who came in last, the people at five o'clock. How long do they work? One hour. So they come in one hour. And what happens? But when the first came, <coughs> sorry, and verse number eight. So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard said unto the steward, call the laborers and give them their hire beginning from the last unto the first. And when they came that were hired about the 11th hour, they received every man a penny. So when the people who only worked one hour, the good man, the Lord of the vineyard, paid them a full day's wage. And they, this is great. I worked an hour and I got a full day's wage. Then came the people at three o'clock. They only worked three hours and they got paid a full day's wage. Then came the people at noon. They only worked half a day, but they got a full day's wage. Then came the people at nine o'clock. They got paid a full day's wage. So the people who worked all day, they've been watching this. And watching and watching. And they supposed. And that was the problem. Is that they supposed. That hey they worked all day. They should get something better. Than everyone else. And so when they got paid. Guess what they got paid? A penny. A day's wage. Now they're mad. And they're upset. Notice as they picked up in verse 11. And when they had received it, they murmured and against the good man of the house, saying, These last have been wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal to us, which have borne the burden, the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst thou not agree with me for a penny? He said, Now before we started to work, you said, This is what I want to get paid. Now, I paid you that same exact thing you agreed on. Why are you upset? Because I, I paid you what we agreed on. You should be mad. He said in verse number 14. Take, um, take that thine is and go thy way. I will give unto the last even unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is thine eye evil because I'm good? 
He says, hey, I could do whatever I want with what I have. If I choose to pay someone a full day wage, that's my business. But you wouldn't trust me to pay you what is right. You had to agree before it ever happened. And so, fine, here we go. Now, this is what he said in response. What can we learn of this? There's three things I want to show you from this text here. First of all, laborers are needed. Laborers are needed. That we understand that for the gospel's sake, Jesus says the fields are white already with harvest. In fact, why don't we look at this really quick? We're jumping right back. We're in Matthew, Matthew chapter 9. And let's see what Jesus says. We we're, we're just want to look at a, a, a couple verses of what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 36. Matthew 9, 36. But when he, Jesus, saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. So what we have here, it is not a harvest shortage it is a labor shortage. You understand more people will get saved. They're waiting to get saved, but someone needs to show them. That God, as we examine the Bible, God spends more time getting the soul winner out to the field than it does to get the soul saved. That God has to work a lot to get the people to get out in the field in the first place. There is a labor shortage. And we learn from this passage here that Jesus is saying there is a labor shortage. We need more laborers for the harvest field. There are people dying and going to hell all about us. One of the statistics I saw, every two seconds, three people die and go to hell. And we're doing nothing about it. We're letting them go to hell while we're playing PlayStation, checking Facebook, doing all this other stuff, and allowing them to go to hell. Laborers are needed. Laborers are needed. What else do we learn from here? Looking at others will ruin your life. Looking at others will ruin your life. Well, what about them? God doesn't want you to worry about them. He wants you to worry about yourself. You understand the Bible gives a principle that each of us have our own race. Every single one of us have different abilities and opportunities. Not everyone has the same abilities and not everyone has the same opportunities. We are just supposed to be obedient and use the abilities and opportunities God has placed in our path. We're in a race against ourselves, not a race against others. We are to do the best we can with the time, the opportunity that God places for us. But when you look at other people, it'll ruin your life. Well, look at them. They have a much bigger church to go to. Well, look at them. They're better off over there. Well, those people have nicer stuff than me. That's what happened to the disciples. They gave up everything and they didn't even think anything of it until they watched this guy approach Jesus and turn around and walk away with everything he has. 
The only reason why they're thinking about this is because they're watching someone else keep their stuff. And they finally go, what's in it for us? We gave up everything. Is it going to really worth it to serve the Lord? Is it really worth it to s- not to take care of ourselves with entertainment? Not to take care of ourselves with all the fun gadgets? Is it really worth it to take our time to serve the Lord? And the answer is yes, yes, yes. You will give your life to something. Some people give their life to a job. And that's what they get out of it is that job. There are some people that give their life to a hobby. And they get the rewards of that hobby. Some people give themselves to entertainment. And they get whatever entertainment gives to them. Or we could give our life for the gospel's sake. For Jesus' sake. And allow him to give us the rewards at the very end. But you're going to give your life to something. But if you look at someone else. You're going to get dissatisfied. You're going to get disappointed. You're going to get jealous. You're going to get aggravated. You're going to get disappointed. And then you're going to look at yourself and get discouraged. We're not to look at any other church as a church together. And say but those people they're better off than us. We're not them. We're supposed to look at what we have here. Someone may say, well, I don't have the physical ability to go knock all these doors. Do what you can. Everyone could do something. Everyone could take advantage. I had a man who weighed 800 pounds and he said, there's no way I'm going to go be able to knock doors. Well, how about this? How about you handwrite your personal testimony of how you came to know the Lord? Take a phone book and just mail a letter just when you can get stamps, envelopes. If you need help, I'll give you stamps and envelopes. Do what you can. But you handwrite this letter and you just mail your testimony with a track to each of these addresses. And he did. And it worked. You understand? He didn't have the physical ability, but he did with what he could with what he had. You are just in a race with yourself, with your own abilities and your own opportunities. Take advantage of what God has placed in your path. But looking at others will ruin your life. It will ruin your life. A third principle I want to hit. Is the Lord is trustworthy. Remember that in the New Testament. Parables teach one idea. One main thing. So what is this purpose of this principle? Is that God is trustworthy. That you could allow him to pick the results. You know one of the things about the millennial kingdom. Is that we don't know everything about it. It's almost you know. If you could forgive the bad uh, illustration. Asking your wife. All right, I'm going to go out to eat. What do you want? Well I don't know what's there. Oh come on pick something. And you could be missing out on something great. But you didn't know it was there. That's a cheap illustration. But I'm trying to say, we don't know what's all the millennial kingdom. How can we ask for stuff? We don't realize all the great stuff that's over there. Can you trust God to give what is right and what is best for us? Absolutely. God is trustworthy. God is trustworthy. Now, the first group, they were a bunch of hirelings who would not work Unless they came to an agreement. And they got exactly what they asked for. But when they looked at everyone else. And everyone else got a better deal than them. They were upset. God wanted to give them a great deal. But they, it's because they didn't want to. Uh, 
work unless they had it planned out. I'll only start going soul winning if God takes care of this bill. I'll start telling people about the Lord when my college is done. I'll start serving God when my kids are grown up. I'll serve God when I'm retired. You can come up with any excuse you want. But that just gets you in your way. If you start setting requirements, I'll only start serving God when I get a house. I'll only start serving God when this is done. Well, you can go ahead and start arranging all the payments that you want. But you're going to be robbing your own self when it's all said and done. Can you trust God? The Lord is trustworthy. You know, notice if you don't mind this last phrase that we were pointing out in the gospel record of Matthew chapter 20. The gospel record of Matthew chapter 20. And notice with me in verse number 16. So the last shall be first and the first last. Then notice as we added a phrase into this statement, for many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. What does this mean? Well, many are called. We could say it this way. Many are invited to serve. Many are invited to serve the Lord. God opens it up. Anyone can serve God if they wanted to. Absolutely anybody. And God opens it up. I need laborers. Someone said that God is so hard up, he'll take anybody, even you. If you want to be used of God, he'll use you. you your greatest ability is your availability. If you make yourself available, God will use you. So you make yourself available to God. He says, many are called, but notice this, few are chosen. Few are chosen. Now go back to the disciples. You know, God put the 12 disciples. What did he say? I'm choosing you to be the rulers of the 12 tribes of Israel. God gave them that job. He's the one that chose. But it was offered. Anyone could serve God. But out of the people that serve God. And, and they're there, this is what I'm giving to you. Because I trust you. Because this is the position I'm putting you in. You guys have a special position. Because you were faithful. Because you were trustworthy. You understand. God wants to choose for us. Something amazing. But we have to be willing to follow. The first shall be last. What is this phrase? As you examine this phrase all throughout the gospel records as Jesus uses it. It has the idea that if you put yourself first in the millennial kingdom, you're going to be last. However, if you put yourself last on this earth in the millennial kingdom and the judgment, you shall be first. What are you giving your life for? Are you giving it to yourself here and now? Then you're going to lose out in the millennial kingdom. But if you give your life to God now. He will give it back to you. In the millennial kingdom. The first shall be last. And the last shall be first. What are you giving your life to? And then can you trust God to give you what is best? You see we need laborers. Why am I preaching this? Because we need laborers. We need people to help us out. We need people to invite people to Sunday morning service. Have you done that? The call's been open. We've asked you, please, can you do something? Can you do this? And some have chosen to. Some have chosen not to. It's your choice. But the offer's open. We need laborers. We need help. 
we can't reach all of Oneida by myself. I can't reach all of Green Bay by myself. I can't reach all of Appleton by myself. I need help. God needs help. We need laborers. And if we all do our part, the job can be done. We need laborers. But the idea is, are you willing? Or is there something in the way? Let me tell you that the PlayStation tournament is more important than people going to heaven. Hey, the things I got going on at home, that's more important. Now, again, I'm not saying quitting jobs and stuff. God given, has given you a job for the purpose of using those finances to help accomplish the Great Commission. That's important. If nobody had a job here, we'd be hurting right now as a church. So I'm not saying that we're quitting. But I'm saying you use your opportunities and you use the, the things that God has made you uh, available to you and you use them to the fullest ability. That, hey, can you take time to go tell people about the Lord? Can you take time to take the phone and say, hey, can you come to church? Can you take time to write a letter and say, hey, let me tell you about how I came to know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Can you even text someone and say, hey, can you be my guest on Sunday? I'll give you a grilled cheese sandwich if you come. Can you take the time? Is it worth it to take the time? Is it worth it to invest your life and say, hey, I don't want to just piecemeal this. I want to give my entire life to tell everyone possible about the Lord. What you give your life to now will determine what God gives you in the millennial kingdom. So let me ask you. Someone may say, what do we get thereof? I want to ask you the question, what do you want for your life? Do you want just the pleasure of happiness for entertainment? Is that all you want in life? Is that all you want for a thousand years and say, hey, I had a good time back on earth back then. It was good enough for me. Is it going to be good enough for a thousand years? Hey, let me tell you, my whole life was my job and everything I put into it was in that job. Is that job going to be enough to sustain you for a thousand years? The rewards of it that you got here? I gave my life to my house. Oh, this house. It was so important to me. This car. I know some people who love their cars better than their own wives. What do you want for your life? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.